We're in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. This morning, as you turn there, I would draw your attention to the fact that during the time of Christ, when he was walking the earth, the Roman Empire was ruling over the world. And during the Roman Empire, the people that lived within the Roman Empire, from the leaders on down to just everyday culture, did not value children. They did not value the souls of children. And what we know from history is that you had men first, women second, and then slaves, and lastly children, because they could not contribute to society until they became adults. And so it is saddening when you read about the Roman Empire that according to their laws, their religious beliefs, there was nothing morally wrong with killing children. There was nothing wrong with them in that sense that children were abandoned as babies, young children on the trash heaps, on the dung heaps. Some drowned their children at birth if their children were viewed as weak, deformed, abnormal, or maybe they wanted a boy and they got a girl. The Roman Empire had brutal forms of abortion. And children that were left on the trash heaps at times were saved, but they were taken away to be made slaves of other people. How about today? Our world is not much different. Different. In the sense that when you think of, we have brutal forms of abortion. Since 1973, it's estimated that 62 million babies have been aborted and murdered. Today, women are told, your child is going to be handicapped, your child is going to be deformed, then you must or you should abort them. We also live in a world today where children are neglected and abused all around the world. At any given moment, there's 1.2 million children estimated either in labor, slavery, or sex slave slavery. I was reading a Christian historian, theologian. His name was Tertullian, and he wrote of the Christians who responded in the time of the Roman Empire that they would look for babies that were left on trash heaps, and they would take them and raise them at their own. Or if there were ones that were abandoned and dying, that they stayed with them and cared for them until they died, or they gave them a proper, decent burial. Why would I even mention these things? Some people would think, oh, we're getting ready for a political message. No, we're going to the Word of God this morning. The reason I point these things out to you is that you would understand when Christ walked the earth, the Roman Empire did not value children as the way that God values them. And it makes much sense when you see what Jesus calls the people to give attention to them, as well as what He does in the moment to teach us about the kingdom of God. The souls of children mean a lot to God, as we see in Jesus' words today, and much to His kingdom. And Jesus says that if anyone would receive the kingdom of God, that you must come to Him like a little child. Therefore, the big idea this morning is this. 
to enter the kingdom, you must come to Jesus humbly and receive it like a child. Would you look with me at Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17? Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, "Let Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The word of God. Would you pay attention to what Jesus says this morning? There are some who have actually there are many who have preached this text to argue for a few things. Some have preached this text to argue for infant baptism. Some have argued against infant baptism with this text. Some have preached to talk about what happens when a child dies and what is the age of accountability and not that those things should not be looked at through Scripture, but I believe that those are an error of what we see in the context of Scripture, especially within the chapter 18 and what we see, what Jesus has previously just taught them the interaction with the man that he has that follows. And so we must pay attention to the context of God's word and join with me that we would not ever, ever, ever read things into the text of God that are not there. I do believe that when we talk about children, that at times our emotions are high. We love children. We want to know what happens. Is God sovereign or not? But this is not what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. And as we see, as we'll pay attention here, he loves the children. He cares for the children. He wants the children to come and be with him. But at the same time, he uses the children to teach the big point about anyone who would enter into the kingdom of God. Therefore, as last week's text, it's the same as this week's text. It's a life and death teaching of Jesus Christ. So the first point is do not hinder the children. Look at verses 15 and 16. Do not hinder the children. It says, now they were bringing, bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. I'd encourage you to read Matthew chapter 19 this week and Mark chapter 10. They both record the exact same uh, incident here, the same teaching of Christ, uh, that we would pay attention that this is important for us to know. Uh, Luke uses the word infants here, which means uh, an unborn child. Uh, It can mean a newborn child. It can mean an infant. Uh, Matthew and Mark use the word children, which mean a young child or a little boy or a little girl. And either way, you have possibly babies, uh, toddlers, little children. And the parents want to bring their children to Jesus. And we've seen already in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus lays his hand and touches people and heals them. They, uh, Matthew, or Mark and Luke um, say that they want them to, they want Jesus to bless the kids. They want Jesus to lay their hands on them and pray for them. And here we also have that Jesus, he takes them into his arms. Just as we were singing a moment ago, this picture of Jesus loving the children, holding the babies, putting his hands on the little children and blessing them and praying for them. But there's a problem. 
The disciples are not in line with what Jesus is thinking or what he's doing. The disciples are trying to get the parents with the kids saying, Jesus is too busy. Don't waste his time. I wonder if the children thought with the Roman culture of like, these kids can't learn anything. There's nothing they can contribute. They're just taking up Jesus's time. Either way, they're telling them to go away. It says they're rebuking them. It's the same word that we'll see when he comes across, when they come across blind Bartimaeus at the end of this chapter. They rebuke him and say, be quiet. Leave Jesus alone. He's too busy. It doesn't say, but I wonder what they were thinking. Why were they neglecting the children? Why were they turning them away? Well, if you go back and look at chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, last week's text, we saw there was the parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Jesus says, don't have contempt on others. Well, this is the same thing the disciples are doing. There's this contempt for the children and maybe for what the parents are doing. And they're doing exactly what Jesus was saying, do not do. And here it's towards the children. Instead, verse 16, Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Jesus wanted the children to come and be with him. He wanted to do what the parents asked and to lay his hands on them and to pray for them and to bless them and to hold them. And so we must ask the question, what do we learn about the character of God? Because you must never lose sight of the fact when we read these gospel accounts that Jesus Christ is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. And so when we see Jesus and we see him in his humanity, we must not forget his deity, fully God, fully man. And so we see God embracing the children, the souls of young children. The children themselves are important or of great importance to God. And you see God's love for children. Jesus Christ cares for them. He values them. The word of God says that children are a blessing from the Lord. Therefore, we must then respond as we see God in that we too should value children. We should value the souls of children. We should see children as a blessing from the Lord, even when they don't obey you. Even when they're causing those problems, even when they're in that rebellion and they run, children are a blessing from the Lord. Therefore, we must view them as such. We should pray for them. We should pray with them. We should teach them how to pray. We should teach the children the word of God. And today, with all the families that are together and the broken up families, parents should teach their children the word of God. Grandparents should teach children the word of God. Their other family members who are followers of Christ, the body of Christ should teach children the word of God, that they would see it of great importance and great value that one day it may bear fruit in their life. And just as Jesus cares for the children, we must also know that Satan hates children. Satan wants to kill children. Satan does not want any child to become a child of God. 
And therefore, the people of God must not only train up children in the way that they would uh, with the word of God, but they should also stand up for children and protect children from the attacks. And so if you want to talk about abortion, you can say it's a political issue. or You can say it's not abortion. One example of children an attack towards them. It's murder and murder is sin. Exodus 20 verse 13 says you shall not murder. Therefore, what should be the response of God's people when we see this happening in our world and in our culture? Is it just prayer or has God called us specifically to respond in certain ways? Is it just turning of a head and being afraid not to say something because we don't want to be controversial? Something to pray about. Psalm 139 verses 13 and 16. It says this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. A picture, a wonderful picture of God's sovereignty and his work in creating every single one of us. And that when he creates us and that when we are in the womb, we are alive and of value to the Lord. And Jesus says it is the children to pay attention to when he speaks of his kingdom. He says, let the little let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, also, we must pay attention to his words here and understand that Jesus is not teaching that ch- children just born just naturally belong to his kingdom. OK, now I know that some of you are going to be like, well, what about when a child die? We're not answering that question today. He's using the children as an example of to have this attitude to enter his kingdom. I'll say this. God is completely holy. He's completely just and his grace abounds. And so he is sovereign. We are not. He has a better plan than any of us. And so we rest in his grace and we rest in his sovereignty. But we must know that children don't inherently just belong to the kingdom because Scripture tells us that every single one of us are born in sin. That we're born, as we read last week in Ephesians, we're enemies of God. And without the grace of God, no person can enter the kingdom of heaven. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, as you're turning there, John chapter 3, verse 6 says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Read Romans chapter 5 this week, uh, in which uh, Paul describes how sin from Adam down to the children, to every child, to all of us. But I would remind you of what we read last week in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And again, we want to argue, oh, but this beautiful little baby is not a sinner whatsoever. They haven't done anything but just throw up on me or whatever it's been. They haven't lied. They haven't done all these things. And it's like, okay, maybe there's certain sin acts they have not done yet. But God's word says that by uh, our nature, we're born as children of wrath. And so what happens is our emotions are like, no, we can't believe that. That's horrible. Well, it's the truth. And Jesus is very clear that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they enter it as a child does. So we must not forget God is sovereign. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. And when a child does die or is murdered, it is God in his perfect holiness and judgment, his justice and grace, which cares for them. I would also caution us from making a judgment call at what age is a child saved? Or at what age does the Holy Spirit of God work in a child and teach them the truths of God's word? We can teach children the word of God. But it still takes the Holy Spirit to save a person, to work in a life, to call them to the truth, to fill them and to cause growth in their life. And so again, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us teach children the truth of God's word that it would bear fruit in their lives and that they would be saved. Because verse 16 again says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Who is it that he says there belongs the kingdom of God? I heard one mumbling children. Who is it? Children. So it's like, okay, wait. He's saying this. What is Jesus really teaching us? And again, if you look at all of chapter 18, if you look at Mark, and if you look at Matthew, in the context of Scripture, he's teaching us something that's very important. It's a life and death uh, text, a passage of Scripture, which which we have of Jesus' words. He says, these children, let them come to me. See these children that I'm embracing. See these children that I am blessing. See these children that I'm laying my hands on, you must follow their example if you would enter the kingdom of God. And he doubles down in his statement and Jesus draws a line in the sand in verse 17. The second point is receive the kingdom of God like a child. He repeats himself. It says, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I would encourage you that when you come across scripture, especially when Jesus is teaching, he repeats himself or he says, truly, I say to you, then pay attention. This is the main point. This is what he wants you to take home with you and apply in your life. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not what? Shall not enter it. Would you agree that that's some very serious words of Christ? You either enter the kingdom of God or you're not or you don't. You're either in the kingdom of God after you die for all eternity or you are cast into the outer darkness, hell, separated from God for all eternity. You're either in the kingdom or you're not. And if you don't enter the kingdom as a child, you will not enter it after you die. Look at verse 17. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And it goes right after this parable in which Jesus speaks of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And again, he's trying to teach them and is teaching us today that you cannot enter the kingdom of God in your own way, on your own time or by your own works. And therefore, the child's behavior is what he points to as the model for all to follow and to enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, children and adults must receive the kingdom of God as a gift. It's a gift of grace, just as we spent time last week. If you stood before the Lord today and he says, why should I let you into my kingdom? Why should I let you into this place? Will you go through a list of all the wonderful things you've done in your life and how you served God and you did these things and on and on. And I went to the prisons and I fed these people and I went to the homeless and I went on mission trips and I went to Sunday school classes and I did all these things. And will he then say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's what we have from Jesus' words in Matthew, I believe, chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Many people believe that the good things they do in the name of God is what will get them into the kingdom. And they miss it completely. I say to you and myself again, you and I can do nothing good, no good works, no living a moral life. And when I say you can't do anything good, that is on our own, apart from Christ. We can do good works, as we saw in Ephesians verse chapter 2, verse 10, but that comes after faith. But anything that we do, as we saw last week in different passages in the Old Testament, that all of our good works before God are filthy rags. As the Apostle Paul says, that they're trash, they're rubbish, they're dung. And only those, Jesus says, who humbles themselves like a little child to enter the kingdom. Look back in the text of chapter 18, where we were at last week in verses 9 through 14. There's that Pharisee. He's standing. He comes to the temple to pray. And Jesus does this parable just after teaching on prayer. And he stands before and he's like, I, 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 Lord, thank you that I'm this way and I'm this way. And he says, thank you. I'm not like that tax collector. And the tax collector is the one that's on the ground and his face. He can't even look up to heaven. And he just calls out, says, God, have mercy on me. I don't have anything to bring you. And the Pharisee is the one that's like, hey, Jesus, I bring you myself. 
And Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 14, regarding the tax collector, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, it's works righteousness versus receiving the gift of Christ's righteousness. And we find this teaching about the children also right before this rich young ruler, which we'll look at next week in verses 18 through 30, who comes and he asks the best question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see the theme? Do you see why we stay within the context of Scripture? Because it's not bad for us to talk and value children, look through these things. But if we're just going through Scripture, Jesus is teaching in chapter 18 that your works get you nowhere in life other than hell. His work and the gift of His grace gets you into the kingdom of God. And if you're not saved, you need to be saved and to call out for the grace of God. And if you are saved, you need to be reminded you did not save yourself. And you need to be reminded that the works you do today give glory to God, but they don't get you any closer to God. Because once He adopts you as His child, you are His for eternity, and He loves you as He loves His Son, Jesus Christ, the wonderful, perfect, glorious Father who loves you immensely. Reflect on that this week. And maybe that would help you when you do good works as a Christian, that you would lose sight of the fact of like, I'm not getting God's love more just because I went and did this this week. He loves you because he's given you Christ's righteousness and he loves you as his own. Look at verse 17. It talks about receiving Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God. What does it mean? Well, we've been a few times through Luke when Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. Or we see in, I believe it's in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. We have this understanding that the kingdom of God is this picture of God's rule and his authority over all things and over our heart, over our life Therefore, to receive it is to welcome God's rule and authority in our life. And that only comes through trusting in, believing in, faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his son. And that apart from belief, apart from faith in the work of Christ, no one can enter. Turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. It says in verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Now, I've got to remind you, because sometimes we forget last week we looked at being justified in the text. What does it mean to be justified before the Lord? There's this work that God does, this legal act to make us right before God through salvation and faith in Christ. And so it says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. You can't do or keep the law or do things right so that you'll be justified. It says, but through faith. In Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
Again, you might be thinking, you're beating the drum over and over and over again. Well, have you read Luke chapter 18? Jesus wants to make it very clear in his teaching, in his parables, in his acts, that you cannot enter the kingdom of God on any self-righteousness or any works on your own. That entering the kingdom of God is a complete work of Christ alone. So to enter the kingdom or to receive the kingdom of God, you must rely on someone other than yourself. You must understand you have no status, you have no claim, you have no power to get in the kingdom of God. And you must understand to get into the kingdom of God, you must first understand your sinfulness, your need for salvation. And I was reading in Mark, I believe it's chapter 12 this week, there's a scribe and he comes to Jesus and he's talking, he's like, hey, what's the best, you know, the, 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 these questions, this description about the laws and what's the top laws and what should we keep and this scribe goes on and after Jesus talks about loving him and loving others and there's a response by the scribe Jesus says you are not far from the kingdom but he says you're not far from it you're not in the kingdom yet but he says you're not far from it And so we must understand our sin. We must understand our need for salvation. And we must humble ourselves as a little child and rely on someone else for salvation. And that someone is Jesus. Think about children. They have no way to provide for themselves. Little children have no way to get up and go get in a car and go to the grocery store and buy something and bring it home and cook it up. Little children have no way to take care of all of their needs. They rely on parents or if their parents aren't gone, then maybe it's other family members. And if family members aren't gone, you would hope that the community would also provide for them. But as in the Roman Empire, the ones that were neglected, they just died. Little children... Coming to Jesus, bring nothing to him. He says, let them come to me. You have nothing to bring to Jesus but your sin. And there's a call for us to turn from our sins, to repent of our sins, and to turn to Jesus Christ. And so we must repeatedly remind ourselves there is no way we can enter the kingdom apart from Jesus Christ and his work. That Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins. That Jesus Christ was made sin. And God the Father who loves his son. It says in Isaiah it pleased him to crush his son. Because his son was bearing our sin. He became our sin. And therefore the Father poured out his wrath on the son. And it pleased him to do so. Because God is a holy and righteous and just God. And must punish sin. And that sin that was to be punished from our life, Jesus Christ took that from you and he died in your place. Therefore, he calls you to believe in him. That not only that Jesus is God, but to believe in his work is all the work that was needed. And it was complete to save you from your sins. And he calls you not only to believe that he died on the cross, And forgives your sins by his blood. But he calls you to believe that Jesus Christ is alive. 
He's ascended to heaven. He's ruling and reigning. And he is returning one day, which we say every day, Lord Jesus, come back today. And we long for that. And we look for the day that we would be with him for eternity. So for us, we must receive the kingdom of God as we would receive a gift. And that gift is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the worship team comes forward, Psalm 116. Psalm 116, verses 12 through 13. It says, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. All that we can do today is to praise the Lord God Almighty, is to give Him thanks and to glory in Him for His grace and to call out to Him for mercy. Therefore, again, where we started, to enter the kingdom, you must come to Jesus humbly and receive it like a child. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a child of God, you need to ask yourself today, How am I growing today in my trust of God, in my humility to to depend on Jesus for everything more and more daily? Because I believe the Christian still struggles today with pridefulness. And we think so quickly that we can do and act and live on our own strength and our own power. And Jesus says, become more and more like a child in your faith. Believing in me, who can do all things for you and in you and through you. And if you're not a child of God today, know there's nothing you can do to get into the kingdom, but to receive the grace of God, forgiveness through the death of Jesus Christ, and believe in the life that you have eternal, because Jesus is not in the grave, but he is alive. Would you pray with me? Again, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've loved us first. We thank you that you don't have a list of things we must accomplish in life to enter your kingdom. We thank you that your plan to show your great love for us was giving your son. We thank you that you give us mercy and you pour out your grace upon us. That your spirit convicts our heart and that you teach us the truth. We thank you that you bless us abundantly now and for eternity spiritual blessings, material blessings. We thank you that you care for us and watch over us as the enemy would attack us. And we pray that we would be children of God who acknowledge rightly you as Father. Jesus, I ask that you would today speak to those who have heard the gospel and are not your children yet. Holy Spirit, would you 
move in their hearts, convict them of the truth, point them to you, and bring them to faith. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We pray that you would continue to work in our life. Help us to grow every day and become more and more like a child in our faith. We bless your name, Jesus. Amen.